you remember the moment when you realized you were in love with your spouse? Do you remember the rush of excitement that came over you and how passionate you were about them and about the relationship that you wanted to have with them? It was like a burning furnace inside you. Now, where did that fire go? Do you still have it? Or are you, like so many other married people, in a state where the fire has become a mere flickering spark? If this is you, or you're interested in finding out how to keep the spark alive, you're at the right place at the right time. In this episode, I will share with you some of the reasons why many people experience a quenching of their flame and how to avoid these things. I'll also share with you some tips on how to rekindle and fan the spark into a furnace that once was. In my book, Crash Course on Sex for Christian Couples, I define the term the spark. And this is basically the fire-like feeling you have that is consuming when you fall in love. This is the fire that you had when you fell in love with your spouse. The sense of deep attraction and desire to be everywhere that they are. In fact, to be nowhere else but by their side. That unquenchable, inexplicable magnetic pull that they had on you. This is what I refer to when I talk about the spark. Now, in dealing with some of the issues that cause the spark-turned-furnace into a flickering spark, I've learned that we do better when we're told what not to do rather than being told what to do. And so this is the approach that I'll be taking in dealing with some of the issues that quench our spark, so to speak. And I will use this approach because it's something that I noticed when I considered the Ten Commandments. Rather than God telling you to preserve life, you are told, thou shalt not kill. Or we are told as believers, thou shalt not kill. Because in a weird sense, we respond better to prohibitions rather than being told what to do. So the same ideology flows into my view of the quenches of the fiery furnace of love between spouses. Now, the first of these is familiarity. And humans are creatures of habit. And because of this, we are quite quick to adopt habits that will minimize our use of conscious resources when we encounter familiar situations. This way, we are efficient and effective in executing the stuff that we execute and we can redirect the mental bandwidth to other activities. But sadly, in relationships such as marriage, we are prone to getting cold and this is due to familiarity. The spark is put out because we become familiar. We may work Mondays to Fridays and we have takeaway on Friday evening. We go for brunch on Saturday and we go to church on Sundays. And the cyclical nature of life makes it so easy for us to fall into a mindless routine. Now, before we know it, we are living together as roommates rather than soulmates. And this is, this is a situation that we want to avoid. The other sad thing is that 
all this routine-based life is possible in sex as well as in marriage. In the previous episode, I spoke about how the quality of your marriage is directly correlated to the quality of your conversations. In the same way, the quality of your marriage itself now is directly related and correlated to the quality of your sex life. This is why I say the routine-based life is possible in sex. Because some people get to a situation when they know that, okay, he touches me like this when he wants to get busy and he makes a feign attempt on foreplay and he gets into the business of the day, business of the day, quote-unquote, and moments later he rolls off to sleep and starts snoring this routine could become your life if you're not really paying attention and doing anything to change it and also wordlessly sailing into sleep is what i i i I refer to here when i'm making this um, analogy and these are the ways that the furnace becomes a flicker And to talk about this is very important because you don't want to become familiar. You don't want to have a situation where you are striking the rock because you are told that the rock has to be struck even when you are supposed to be speaking to the rock using a biblical analogy. So it's very important to always, always avoid familiarity. And the biggest thing that you can do to avoid familiarity is introducing an element of unpredictability. In other words, always try to do things in a different way. It doesn't have to be anything major. It could literally be changing locations, for an example, if you have the liberty to, or changing positions if you also have the liberty to do so changing the times most people you wake up in the morning you're in a rush you're going to work in the evening you settle down bath the kids put them to bed and then have sex change it up for a bit have sex in the morning that alone would break this sequence of i know I get home, I wash the kids, I feed them, I put them to bed, we read the word, we pray, then we have... uh, No, change it. Do it in the morning, once in a while. That will introduce that unpredictability. That will also rekindle and keep that spark alive. You would be amazed how much of a spring it would put in your step if you start your day that way it's better than having breakfast but don't take my word for it just give it a try another favorite of mine in terms of putting the flame out is criticism and nagging and these are personal favorites of mine because not because i do them but in terms of addressing some of the things that quench the furnace the fiery furnace that i referred to earlier on they are favorites they're personal favorites because they are almost always linked to dissatisfaction in marriage because we criticize with a weird subconscious hope that the person we're criticizing will alter their behavior and become a better um, person or at better at the area we're criticizing And this doesn't work. It doesn't bear the desired results. In fact, I've noted that 
the tendency is not to improve said areas under criticism but to become despondent and almost defiant because when you criticize 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 the person you're criticizing doesn't realize that you are criticizing an an activity or a lack of activity um, relating to them but rather the criticism becomes personalized when i tell my wife that i don't like the fact that she sings in the shower something weird like that what she might translate that to be is not that i don't like her singing in the shower it would translate to mean i don't like her singing and she's terrible at doing it and i hate her so rather what i've realized or what i've noted is that encouragement is a better approach to sparing the changes in behavior that we want because we all want to be appreciated and we crave it so much that we will voluntarily improve the stuff that hasn't been complimented so that we feel a sense of accomplishment and increase the chances of that also being complimented. So for an example, if I compliment my wife on a list of 10 things, if I compliment her for one thing, she's likely to do better or try to improve in that one thing that I've complimented her for and then improve nine other things in the hope that I'll also compliment her in those areas. That's how powerful giving compliments and encouragement is. Nagging on the other end is continuing to criticize regardless of the outcome being unchanged. So criticism is um, attacking or expressing that I'm not happy with something more so in a manner that is crushing rather than a manner that builds up and usually it becomes like a personal attack whereas nagging is some sometimes repeating the criticism even though there's no change in behavior and repeating 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 until it drives the other person insane nagging is effectively a breakdown in communication because the person nagging is preoccupied with what they want without regard for the reasons why they are not being satisfied or not getting getting the behavior that they want and this could be nagging your spouse for more sex for an example or more adventure in sex or even um, a differentiated position so for an example if i'm looking at criticism i might use missionary position for an example and say to my wife ah you always doing you always want us to do uh, missionary position what i want to say is i'd like to try a different position but rather than say that i'm criticizing the position that we are doing you see that's what criticism is whereas nagging would be me telling my wife what i want i want to try a different position and that that's a, that's a perfect example of nagging because a nagger is also usually not specific with what they want. They're very generic. Saying, I want another position is not the same as saying, I want um, woman on top, for an example. I want you to be on top if I was saying or if I was speaking to my wife. And so that is nagging. If I were to say that to my wife all the time, I want a different position. I want a different position without her changing her behavior. She might just to get me quiet and stop me from nagging. 
but in another instance she might just keep saying no and you find that our sex life tends to dwindle because i'm nagging rather than saying okay you're always up for one position why is that so you'd find that she has a valid reason she said no i'm not confident in trying women on top i feel like i'm gonna fail and if i do then it's gonna ruin your experience and then that will ruin my experience because i feel like i'm incapable of satisfying um, you sexually so that gives me an opportunity to say no i'd be willing to try and even if it doesn't work out it's okay we can keep trying until it becomes better that's a conversation that's a quality conversation versus the criticism and nagging that i have described to you earlier on so this um, criticism and nagging is a favorite of mine because they always go hand in hand somehow and this is all covered in my book and i also think that um it is covered quite in detail and you benefit from reading it directly from there i won't be going into uh, as much detail right here in the podcast now i also think that men are usual culprits in the area of nagging because we are typically the ones with a greater appetite for sex and this is not to say that all men have greater appetites for sex than their wives no generically speaking or generally speaking men tend to have a higher desire for sex than women do the interesting thing is if god created your wife as a suitable helper underline the word suitable then she is capable of matching or even surpassing your desire for sex the question is how because she's built suitable for you if you have a desire to have sex every day she is suitable for that desire the question is always how and the answer lies in having quality conversations and i go into detail about this in the book but i submit to you that wives can match their husbands or even exceed their husband's appetite when their flickering spark is turned into a fiery furnace and the 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 question of how i'll cover a bit in this podcast but there's more detail in the book now before i get to this i must bring to your attention the other culprits that quench the fiery furnace of passion in marriage and i deal with these in the book as i said including expectations the business of life among other things now to give you some insight into the how of fanning the spark into a flame let us use the fiery furnace analogy assume there's a spark and just enough fuel to keep it burning but it flickers dangerously almost to the point of going out this is the sexual and marital relationship where criticism and nagging run rampant and where sex is as rare as a five-legged cow in order to protect the spark the wind will need to be controlled in our analogy here not too much too quickly but just enough to keep it going and in order to grow the spark into a fire and eventually into a furnace there need to be boundaries and controls the furnace also needs fuel in regular doses at a rate commensurate with the, with the, with desired growth 
Now, all of this is a fairness um, analogy. And the wise among listeners will note that the wind is the words that we use to communicate with each other in marriage. While we need words to keep our relationships alive, we need to be measured in the use of our words in relationship. One word misspoken and it could hinder your chances of having a great sex relationship. The boundaries, using our analogy, um, the boundaries and the control refer to fidelity, trust, and love. And we do all things in love, be it sex or serving the other a meal or whatever it is that we do in marriage, we do it in love. Even the conversations that we have, even the negative feedback that we might give, we have to do it in love. This means that no one exploits the other and that we are all in it to please the other. So I'm in it to please my wife. My wife is in it to please me. And the boundaries also speak to our limitations. People always want more freedom, but what they will soon realize is that excessive amounts of freedom tend to bondage. What that means is freedom is actually having predetermined parameters to operate within and that frees you. Like I was listening to something this morning that says you weren't created to do everything. You were created for a specific purpose. And there's freedom in knowing that because you don't have to run around trying to um, find purpose and trying to uh, do all sorts of things just to have a meaningful life. Understanding that this is the one thing that you should do means that there's so many other things that you shouldn't be doing because that's not what you created for. And that in its own creates freedom. Now, the discipline and self-control that is required for freedom is very expensive and it requires a lot of sacrifice. And this is what I refer to when I'm talking about boundaries. So discipline and self-control are what tend to freedom and excessive amounts to freedom tend to bondage he who has ears as the lord said let him hear the thoughts and the ideas of sexual freedom and exploring one's sexuality um, typically involve the sexual experiences with multiple partners either um, simultaneously so having more than one partner or having more than one partner in different uh, periods now the rebuttal could be that i've never experienced sex with multiple partners so i can't really speak in that area but i don't think that i need to experience imprisonment to know that i wouldn't like it what i mean by this is that your preferences are usually linked to your identity what is usually the case with people who are pro-sexual freedom they are confused about who they are and some are not even brave enough to deal with the real issues that are within their hearts to resolve um, that issue. And they resolve or they resort to finding fulfillment in the facade of sexual freedom. And I know this from um, a lot of men who pride themselves about the number of girls that they bang. And they use that word. I've banged so many women before. The issue is internal. They struggle with low. They usually struggle with low self worth, and want to impute it on themselves, um, or or rather, they want to impute self worth on themselves by racking up body count. Yet they are 
often terrified of the idea of commitment in marriage. So it's very funny. You think you're the man for sleeping around, but you struggle to commit to sleeping to one person. It's very funny in my mind. I've, I believe I've gone on a bit of a, a therapy tangent blended with some biblical ideology, but I think it's a good tangent. If you want to have a peaceful life of great freedom, then learn to discipline yourself and learn to be a person of commitment. Stick to one spouse. This business of having multiple partners is not sustainable. Now, in the book, I go into detail on some of the tips that may bring you a steamy sex life and a fulfilling relationship in that one um, person relationship. So the relationship with your spouse faithfully. I bring a lot of tips that could um, potentially have you um, explore your sexual freedom within the context of marriage and enjoy it and be fulfilled. These things seem basic at face value, but... The amount of stumbling that uh, they prevent you from is amazing because it's very important to to employ discipline in your marriage, in your personal relationship, as it will result in a lot of freedom. Now, I want to share with you some um, ideas as well in terms of keeping the spark alive, just to round up this episode. These are simple, very, very simple, and they might seem basic, but they will save you a lot of trouble. The first of these is resist temptation of becoming familiar. And I'm reminded of Samson in this area when he was captured by the Philistines after they used Delilah as a pawn. She lulled him into sleep, if you remember the story. She lulled him into sleep on her thighs. And that should give you some hints, by the way, on the danger of the thighs. And so she put him on his thighs. He laid and told her everything. And he had his head shaved. And so Delilah called out to him and said to the Philistines, uh, and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, uh, Samson. And he rose up quite quickly and tried to do things like he usually did. And if you look at this, I, I, I have a couple of questions actually that I have uh, to Samson. In this, in this area or questions that I asked myself about, myself about this. The first is, how mesmerized was Samson to disregard the law of not marrying um, women from other nations? Because Delilah was not Israeli. The second is, she had tried to get him captured three times before and he was dumb enough not to, work, to, to walk away but keep coming back. And I think that's also the power of the thighs. And the thirdly is what kind of sleep was this that they were able to shave all seven of his locks? Because it's specific, the Bible is specific. They shaved seven of his all seven of his locks while he lay on Delilah's thighs. Some um, translations say he lay on his knees. But to sleep that deep, to have seven locks shaved off, is really shocking to me. 
because Delilah possibly moves and and um and gets to different angles of his head and then obviously moves him off of herself and then jumps to the side and says wake up you are the philistines are upon you all of that happens and you are asleep i it's not i'm not saying that i'm not believing the bible story i'm just questioning the kind of man that samson was what was he doing so much that he was so out of energy and so sleepy but that's a question that I'd probably ask if I ever get to meet the guy. But I think, uh, in terms of in terms of um, the answers to to to, or in terms of the lesson of not getting familiar, it lies in the first few verses of the chapter, or the answers to my questions rather. They lie in the first few verses of the chapter, because it says Samson went into Gaza saw a prostitute and went into her. And there's much we can learn from the story. And I believe it's in scripture for our benefit as well. Because the point of Samson's demise was the deficiency in his character, despite his um, exceedingly great anointing. Because where I was going with the Samson story in verse 20 is where Samson says he will go and shake himself at, as at other times. And this is a man who had been familiar with the power of God in his life and did not pay attention to cultivating the relationship with said God. And this is not an interpretation of this passage, but an application. Because familiarity can cost you a relationship and all its benefits. And even if you are doing the same thing over and over and over and over, never forget that whatever it is that you're doing, especially in the area of sex and in marriage, never forget that all these things are a gift and you do not have the right to undermine them with a deficient character or even familiarity. And this is the first tip that I want to give you. Don't uh, find yourself in a situation like Samson where you are comfortable living in, uh, in, in a space that is outside the relationship that you should be having with God. Never get comfortable with doing things that have been expressly said by scripture that you shouldn't do. For an example, do not commit adultery. You are married, but you're busy flirting with girls at work. Stay away from that because it's like you are getting closer and closer and closer into the flame of lust and sin. And trust me, it will burn you. So don't get familiar. Don't get familiar in your own marriage. Don't take for granted the stuff that you are getting and you are being given in your marriage by your spouse. And also, don't get familiar with doing stuff that is not going to benefit you positively in your purpose as a child of God outside of your marriage. Like I said, you are busy there at work having meaning and senseless conversations with girls. It will get you into trouble. You will fall and you will die. So stay away, of, stay away from that. The second tip that would help you in keeping the flames alive and keeping them from being quenched is make a habit of complimenting your spouse what often breeds discontentment and even resentment um, among spouses is unmet wants and needs and i'm not saying this is the only thing you should do to address unmet unmet wants and needs but it could be one of the most beneficial things that you can do because when we have unmet wants and needs even sexually we tend to become very bitter toward our spouses and 
this is something that you can get from any man. If you ask any man who's made advances at his wife wife for sex and she turned him down, it really bruises us in a way words cannot explain. Because if you repeat this behavior several times, it can drive a huge wedge between you and you find that when you when you focus on the stuff that you don't have, you lose sight of the things that you do have. So not getting the sex that you think you deserve and you want for several days will make you lose sight of the fact that you have a loving wife who does so much more for you other than sex. I know it's very consuming, that thing of being turned down. But when you focus on that, then you lose sight of the other things that you should be grateful for and that you should continue to appreciate. For 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 what it's worth, you might the key to changing that situation might be appreciating the other stuff. Because when you're appreciating that, your wife may soon realize that ah, my my poor husband, I've not been satisfying his sexual needs for the past X amount of days. And that changes just like that. But if you are going to be a nagger and a criticizer, you are getting nowhere close to solving the issues. The problems, the problem here with nagging and, and criticism usually is the fact that we don't express gratitude in the first place, yet we want to criticize the stuff that we don't get. And want to nag, continuing to criticize, without stepping back to ask, why is the behavior not changing? So be mindful of these things. This is where compliments comes in. And when you show appreciation and gratitude for what and who your spouse is in your life, what will tend to happen is that they will tend to improve in what they are being complimented on and pursue an identity of someone who is worth complimenting for everything. So underline the word everything because that's where you're headed if you make a habit of appreciation and compliments. That way, they start working on the stuff that you uh, may have previously complained about. And it's an amazing hack, brothers, because I've tried it before and it's worked for me and I believe that it can work for you. Please let me know on the socials or email me on how it went because I'd really like to trade stories with you on my own experiences. So that's the second thing that can help keep the spark alive and keep you from having it the the furnace quenched. The third thing is clarify your expectation or clarify your expectations. Now, this calls for introspection because you have to know what you expect before you can clarify it for someone else. But unmet expectations, especially when they have not been expressed, um a setup for disaster, basically. So they are always worth avoiding. If you expect that married people have sex twice a day, talk to your spouse about this because you find that you'd start hating them for the fact that you have sex once a day and you want sex twice a day. Oh, I want sex twice a day. This is my impersonation of a female voice. I want sex twice a day and you're only getting it once. You start hating your spouse because that's something that you expected but you never expressed. And the other person, because they don't know, they they can't change their behavior to match something they don't yet know. They're thinking, oh, it's fine. We have it every day. At least my friends are telling me that they have it once a month. So we are way better. Whereas you want more. So if you have an expectation, don't hate the person for not doing what you expect if you've never told them that you expected them, you expected them to do it. Rather, 
clarify your expectations. And this goes for anything. If you expect to have different kinds of positions all the time in sex, clarify that expectation. Have the conversation. Because without having the conversation, you are creating fertile ground for bitterness and even hatred in marriage. And you don't want that situation because it quenches all the fire that is supposed to be there in the area of sex and a loving marriage. The fourth thing is that you must prioritize your marriage and your sex life. And the fourth thing, by saying the fourth thing, this is a list of just basic tips that I can give you on how to keep the spark alive and to keep the fire for from being quenched. So the fourth thing is prioritize your marriage and your sex life. And I know this as a person who lived in a household where both my wife and myself um were at the time full-time in a particular career and i know that life gets very busy your relationship may take a hit because of this so this is a provocation to thought because if you consider a situation when you retire from formal work or come to the end of your life would you rather look back at the experiences you had with the people you loved or missed opportunities that resulted from you pursuing a better life for them and trying to chase your dreams. Because I'm willing to stake my reputation and say a lot of us would want to have a life that is full of experiences with the people that we love more than missed opportunities because we were pursuing a better life for them. So to fix this for most of us, it calls for prioritizing our marriage and our sex life. And what this looks like, like in real life or in my life is that I put way more importance on my relationship and my uh, marriage compared to the importance that I put on work. Work is important, yes, but it's not more important than my family. So I put my priorities in a way that matches my identity, firstly, that matches the legacy that I want to create, that matches the quality of relationships that I want to have. And in the case of my marriage, my marriage and my my sex life in that marriage is very up high in terms of priorities. Now, prioritizing for most of us is giving ample time to that particular thing. So if something is a priority for you, you make time for it. It might be some different thing for you, but fundamentally what you prioritize, you make time for. And it's important to prioritize your marriage and your sex life. So this is the fourth tip in terms of keeping the spark alive. The fifth tip is sexual intimacy is a consequence of relational intimacy. Now, I did mention this a bit earlier on, but it's important to also prioritize getting to know your spouse. So this calls for spending time in conversation, not so much spending time in sexual activity, but spending time in conversation, whatever the conversation content is. But this will build the relationship, build the relational intimacy that you need as a prerequisite for sexual intimacy. The sixth tip is to learn to speak with um, your spouse in their love language. Now, this is based off of a book by Dr. Gary Chapman, and the book is titled Love Language. And the Love Language book 
um, is very important. It really did change my life. It had me understand how my wife best responds to uh, communicate me communicating love. And it got me thinking about how I can better communicate my love to my wife. If I told my wife I loved her in Chinese every day and she did not know a word of Chinese, it means nothing to her. But the moment I say it in Isizulu or Isikosa, then it starts making sense to her. It starts having value to her. And this is the same thing with love languages. If we express love in a way that the other person is not really wired to receive. So if I keep keep giving uh, gifts to my wife, whereas she is the person who best responds to receiving uh, words of affirmation, then that's going to cause problems because I'm going to give the gifts and wonder why she's not responding as well as I expect her to. And usually the problem that we have in terms of love languages, if you do get the chance, please read the book. It's by Dr. Gary Chapman. It's called love languages. The problem that we have is that we tend to communicate love in a way that we would like to receive it. So I will give gifts to my wife thinking that that's how she responds to love being communicated to her only to find that I'm the one who would appreciate getting gifts. And so I think because I would like it, then she would too. It's not the case, but read the book. And the tip here is to learn to speak your spouse's love languages love language and love language is because it's possible to have more than one but usually you have one that is very strong compared to all others the seventh tip and this one is probably for the ladies please say yes more often i know i've gone on quite a bit in this episode but trust me it's worth it but the seventh tip is say yes more often and the thing about saying no is that it erodes the confidence of trying the next time. So when your husband or your wife, but more so for the wives, uh, for the ladies, when your husband makes sexual advances, learn to humor them. Say yes. And, and better than saying yes, take on an active leading role. And you will thank me in the socials and via emails later on. But the more you say yes, it creates very fertile ground for a very vibrant sex life because you remove that barrier of your person or your spouse having to think twice about approaching you with a sexual advance. They don't have to think that because sex is always on the table. But if sex is like a prize and they have to bend over backward for them to get it, they're less likely to be inclined to trying anyhow because the likelihood of you saying no is that much greater so say yes more often the eighth tip is commit to being faithful and i believe in the notion that abstinence does not end at the altar so when you get married it doesn't mean that abstinence would have come to an end what i mean by this is that the need for sexual purity becomes much more important in marriage because as a married person standing yourself with sexual sin implicates an additional person if i um, engage in sexual sin i'm not only um i'm not only polluting my own spirit i'm also polluting the relationship that i have with my wife i'm actually bringing her into this sin that i'm committing i'm 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 breaking a marriage covenant and i'm also 
breaking a covenant that I have with the Lord because I've committed adultery, but now I've also broken the heart of this person that I committed to be faithful to. So it's that much more dangerous when you are married. And also from experience, what I've found is that you get so much more sexual advances and offers when you are married compared to when you were single. If you agree with me on this one, please make a comment. Leave me a comment in the comment section. I know so many guys in my circle who have come to me and they said, when I was single, yes, there was sexual temptation, but it wasn't that bad. The moment I got married, it was like something just broke loose. There were so many more advances and so many more temptations that I have had to withstand. And this is not a coincidence because the enemy is after marriages and is after faithfulness in marriage. The ninth and the last thing that I'd like to share in terms of keeping the flames and keeping the furnace alive, keeping it from being quenched in terms of sex and marriage, is learn to shorten the turnaround time with apologies. I also get into detail about the best apology in the book, but this tip simply means that you ought to be ready to admit to wrongdoing when you are confronted about it and apologize for it there and then. You can listen to an episode I did on my main pod, uh, my main, my main podcast about apologies, but in the main, an apology um, or learning rather to apologize straight after you have been told and you've come to understand about wrongdoing is so important because so many people will be told about the fact that they did wrong and then struggle to apologize struggle to um, make amends in the right way not by buying gifts and trying to soften your spouse just come right out and apologize and own up to the mistake that you may have made even if you don't feel like it was a mistake at the very least apologize for breaking the other person's heart and making them feel bad because what that will do is what it will keep the relationship alive the moment you have something that you've done and the other person feels like it's wrongdoing on their end and you're not willing to address that, the longer that thing stays, it festers and it grows into so many other things. And you're opening up your spouse to wrong kinds of thinking because they'll keep ruminating and thinking about why is it that you did that and probably stuff that you've done in the past added to that or because you're not willing to own up to the fact that I've expressed that I, you've uh, hurt my feelings for doing ABCD and you're not willing to apologize for that. So it's, it's a basic tip, but when it is applied, it has so much, so much positive influence in the quality of the relationship, uh, the quality of the relationship you have with your spouse and especially in the area of sex. Now, this is a great deal of what I cover in the book. I also talk about my seven-day sex challenge in chapter eight of the book. So please check it out and let me know what you think after trying it, specifically the seven-day sex challenge. I really want to know what you, um, what your feedback is after trying it. I appreciate you listening to this record, listening to it to this point. 
And I only ask that you share this on your social media platforms. Let other people know about it. And consider reading uh, my book where this and a whole lot more is covered. I hope that I've served you in this episode and that I have restored hope in a better sex life and a better marriage um, that is founded on love and great Christian principles. And I also hope that you will share this message with other people and have conversations around it. Please like this podcast and leave a review because this helps other people find this content. Also subscribe to the show. It is going to be a limited show. At some point, it will come to an end, but subscribe so you'll get notified when something new comes up. This is um, such a blessing to record, and I hope you'll be back for more. For now, stay blessed, and as always, peace and love.